Hello, and welcome to another episode of The Shift Change, our podcast about all things nursing. We're your hosts, Michelle and Claire. This month's topic is self-care. Before we delve into our discussion, let's set the stage. Self-care is a term that's likely familiar to you, especially if you work in a helping profession. You probably know that it's something that you should be doing, especially during the COVID pandemic. But what does this really mean? Is it just another thing that you have to remember to do? Another box to check off? Perhaps it feels like just another thing that you aren't doing great at, which then makes you think, how is this supposed to benefit me exactly? The concept of self-care as a necessary practice has, in some ways, been distorted by pop media messages that tell us that self-care equates to doing something nice for ourselves or giving ourselves a treat by taking care of ourselves. In many respects, however, this is misleading because self-care is not a nice to do. It's a need to do, especially for nurses. We need to engage in meaningful and sustainable self-care in order to stay healthy in careers that are often high stress. Careers where we see some really hard stuff like people in crisis, people and families experiencing death and dying, people who are victims of violence, In many healthcare settings, that type of care is nurses day in and day out. And it's our job to be there at the front line or behind the scenes in leadership and research. We signed up for this and we were educated and trained to do this. Nursing is our career, one that requires empathy, compassion, caring, and also a high level of critical thinking, problem solving and crisis management. To do self-care means we recognize the impact of this work, the relationship we have with ourselves, and it requires us to have the time and space to prioritize it, meaning intentional effort is needed by us in order to sustain it. Sometimes this means calling ourselves out on the things that we're doing that aren't healthy for us. Sometimes this means taking a critical look at the healthcare system that we work in to identify where we can improve as a system. And sometimes it means just sharing a smile with a trusted colleague amidst a difficult shift. Self-care happens in many ways. It can be a yoga class or a warm bubble bath at the end of the day, but it also means being part of a strong community in which we care for and about each other. On this month's episode of The Shift Change, Claire and I will be talking about self-care. How did we learn about it? How do we do it? And how can the system improve to better support nurses? Hi, Michelle. Thanks so much for being here today. Today's episode is going to be a little bit different in that we don't have a guest, but we do have a really interesting topic that both of us love to chat about and think about. So we'll dive in. This month, we're going to be talking about self-care and kind of all the different ways it shows up in nursing work. Our first question is just, what does self-care mean for you, Michelle? a great question. My ideas about self-care and what it means have changed a lot over my nursing career because now I'm inclined to think that self-care is more about taking care of yourself, understanding what limitations are, what my own limitations are, 
understanding when I'm feeling really stressed out, being able to set good boundaries between what is work and what is home life, and being able to take the time to reflect on how I'm doing and to do a check-in with myself, and then take time to do things that are for me to nourish my mind and to nourish my body, and to really create that separation between work and life outside of work so that I can have a better work-life balance. Because I think there were times in my career where that, that separation wasn't so great and it, work was everything, especially when I was a newer nurse. There was such a, like a drive for me to really focus on my career and a need to do things like pay student loans where I really felt a need to pick up every shift and work in lots of places and do a lot of learning. And that really was taxing psychologically and physically as well. So yeah, definitely it's been a experience of personal growth throughout the last 13 years of my career. And that changed again when I got married and especially when I had children and when I had more and more children, just being able to take that time and understand that work isn't everything, money isn't everything. And it's really important to take care of myself. Yeah, I think that's such an important thing to recognize for me as well, that it's shifted. My understanding of self-care has shifted so much over the years initially in nursing school, I remember it feeling like because we would talk about self care, which was so important, our the faculty at my school of nursing, really tried to help students acknowledge that nursing can be heavy work, and that it's important to figure out ways to take care of ourselves. But at that time, I thought of it as like a task or a ticky box. And just kind of like another thing I had to do and another thing I wasn't doing well. And I remember there was a lot of jokes and humor about like, Oh, I'm gonna go home on a Friday evening and crack a bottle of wine. And that never really appealed to me. Like <laughs> that didn't, that didn't feel like self-care to me or same mm -hmm. the idea of like going to a yoga class and feeling rejuvenated. I would feel like, you know, maybe 10% of the time when I do yoga, I feel rejuvenated. And the other 90%, I usually just end up feeling like quite frustrated and angry <laughs> because I'm not terribly flexible. Yeah. <laughs> um, like it's not your yeah thing. <laughs> so kind of over the years evolving to think self-care can mm -hmm. be so many different things. And sometimes for me, self-care can be as silly or small as looking at dumb memes on the internet or <laughs> like I have a niece who's just about two years old. And sometimes literally if I'm having a hard day, I'll send my sister a message and be like, can you send me a cute video from today? So sometimes it self-care takes like 30 seconds and sometimes self-care is more of looking at my schedule. Yeah. When things, when I've overscheduled mm -hmm. myself and things are totally hectic, really sitting down and being like, okay, what can be put off till next month, being strategic about how I use my time and knowing that that is part of like saying no to things is part of self-care. And I don't think I saw that. Uh, like saying no, no to yoga classes is part of my self-care. And I don't think I realized that 10 years ago. Mm -hmm. The term self-care, I think it gets thrown around a lot and people don't really, there's not good education or good understanding of what it really means. Because I think a lot of the time it turns into something like, oh, you're doing something special for yourself or you're doing something extra, treat yourself. And that has kind of become synonymous with self-care, but really my understanding now is that self-care is really just about like finding ways to cope, <laughs> like better ways to cope with all the stressors that are happening in one's life. Yeah. And I think that brings up the good question of 
are you able to talk about some of the stressful work situations you've come across in nursing or kind of what does stress look like for you in nursing? Because I know my understanding of that has also really shifted over the years. I think when many of us start out, we're in direct care nursing. So many of us are working in hospital settings. Many of us are working in acute hospital settings, which means that people are quite often critically ill or, or quite ill when they get to the unit that we're, we're working on as nurses. And early on in my career, I started off in acute mental health and substance use at a busy hospital. It was a small unit. It's in Vancouver, so it was quite busy. And there was lots of admissions and lots of short staffing. There was, you know, times when I came into work and there was the worry that I might be the only, (laughs) I might be the only nurse on shift today. Uh, So that in itself is quite a stressor that not knowing, not knowing who's going to be admitted today, not knowing if patients are going to go missing today, if there's going to be a critical incident today, not knowing if there's going to be enough staff. So those are the really key stressors that would happen. Sometimes additional stressors are working with people that might not necessarily share the same philosophical care perspective or be in agreement with the treatment interventions that I'm making. So that conflict in the workplace in itself can also be a stressor. Throughout my career, I I was in direct care nursing a lot. And I I found that part of my self-care is knowing when there are so many stressors in the job that psychologically it's just too much. And I'm experiencing burnout and such, such incredible moral distress that I have to leave the workplace. And that's happened to me so many times. That's usually the point that I get to in my career when I leave a job. And I just left direct care nursing, the full-time aspect of it, a couple years ago, just because it was, it was getting to be quite traumatic for me. Um, and the moral distress was so high that I wasn't able to do that anymore. So part of my self-care in that moment was knowing this isn't, I can't do direct care right now. I need a break from this. It's important to me and the population, the patients that I worked with and mental health and substance use were very near and dear to my heart and the work was important. But part of that self-care meant, you know, disengaging from that and seeking other avenues for my nursing work to build a different, a, a different side of my career. And that's a whole different kind of stress. For the last couple of years, I've been doing project work. And that's like, that's stressful in itself, dealing with deadlines and like irregular job hours or working more than the full-time working hours and that just being kind of an expectation. So yeah, it's, it's different stressors, but still stressful situations. Yeah, I think one of the first things that comes to mind for me is the really distinct or different buckets of stress and the types of stressors that come up in nursing and how they kind of feel different and how I've had to learn to address them differently. There's, of course, the stress that comes with witnessing suffering in other people or witnessing struggle in other people. As you mentioned, kind of that, the like chaos of an emergency situation that wasn't handled as well as it could have. But I feel like even with those so often, the stress for me comes back to how the system functioned because I find just through really building, like I really had to work hard early in Mm -hmm. nursing school and in my early career to figure out how to make room for witnessing really difficult experiences in another person's life and being really intimately involved with suffering. And I've been able to do that, I'd say for the most part, but the part that has been more difficult for me is when the system lets someone down. Because I feel like in my brain, just kind of the way that I've settled into managing some of that, like the 
pain that we witness in nursing is thinking that we can't control everything. We can't, you know, things are unpredictable. Suffering and pain is mm-hmm. part of life. And so, I, you know, trying to control that end of it seems impossible. But the part that gets me is if I see someone suffer and it's because I was on a team that was short-staffed or it's because the team or I didn't adequately explain what was coming up next or Mm -hmm. if I'm having to enforce policies that I don't agree with and then seeing that leading to suffering is where I find my moral distress is the highest and before I did my master's in nursing when I would struggle with moral distress I would think I am struggling alone you know if I was a better nurse if I was faster if I was more experienced then this wouldn't stress me out as much through doing ethics courses and just like process and research courses and definitely learning from Dr. Annette Brown at UBC School of Nursing. She really helped me shift my understanding to what's happening with the system and to help give me the language of saying like I'm experiencing moral distress and being able to pull up the Canadian Nurses Association Code of Ethics and draw a direct line to just sometimes the jargon that makes it easier to stomach bad practice. (laughs) And people saying like, oh yeah, that person was in four point restraints. Somehow I think lands differently in clinical conversations than saying this person was chemically and physically restrained against their will. And was the rationale there? Did we meet the threshold to justify those actions? I think is more of a call to action. And so that's been a big part of my self-care as well is situating conversations about moral distress outside of my individual personal realm and putting it on the table in front of me and my colleagues to say, what's up guys? (laughs) I get that. It's actually, I think it's quite interesting the way that, well, number one, that self-care a lot of times it's presented as this very individual thing that you have to do in order to make yourself more resilient and it's really it comes down to the individual and you know being able to do more yoga and being able to take time off and really it's presented as something that's individual action when as nurses we work within teams and we work within these systems that have a lot of external pressures and a lot of distressing situations that are happening because of systemic like social injustice of the system. And that doesn't get fixed no matter how much self-care you're going to do. Like essentially we're saying like do the self-care so that you feel a little bit less bad about these terrible systems that we're working in um, rather than presenting self-care as like this collective resiliency that we can build injustice doing. And I think that's why I find activists, mental health activists and healthcare activists, like particularly Vicki Reynolds, who lives and works in the lower mainland, her perspective on collectivity and resiliency through social justice doing so informative and so integral in reshaping the way that I think about self-care and the way that I think about building strong teams and healthcare workers and nurses taking care of each other in order to do the work that we do, but also in order to help each other be advocates and do activism in the workplace and look at that as a form of self-care. Yeah, and I think that sort of leads to the question of some of the benefits and challenges around self-care and practicing from this lens. 
within nursing and something you mentioned earlier in the conversation that really resonated with me was one of the challenges to self-care I find, especially now, like 10 years into my career, is that this approach of activism and seeing change as possible and always thinking that there are ways to improve is such a huge part of my self-care. It's such a huge part of how I manage moral distress. And so I do find it challenging because we work with so many different people in so many different contexts. You know, for some people, the attitude of like, oh, that's not my job. The higher ups need to do that or that's above my pay grade. I find that really distressing. And so it's kind of tough sometimes in that way that uh, maybe it would be easier if my self-care was yoga and wine because I could just do that yeah. at home by myself. So I'm just thinking, yeah, in that moment, as you were talking about that, I was thinking part of part of my self-care is, you know, doing this podcast. Part of my self-care is like writing journal articles and opinion ed pieces about how like all these flaws in the system and how I believe nurses mm-hmm. are the key to changing it. and that is part of my self-care because that makes me feel like I'm doing something. And in that same moment, as you were talking about, you know, all these barriers in the workplace, I was thinking about being at work um, at one of my jobs a couple of weeks ago and it was self-care week or it was like self-care day or something. And so the health organization sent out this email to all the staff about with strategies for self-care, which we just found hilarious because we that particular place that I'm working is so short staffed and people are there on so much overtime and there's overcapacity on some of the units and people getting pulled into working places that they're not comfortable or that they might not necessarily feel are their cup of tea because it's necessary. These are systems needs. But then also this email is coming out about how staff need to remember to take care of themselves when a great way for a health organization to support nurses being able to take care of themselves and engage in self-care is ensuring that they're able to take all their vacation days and ensuring that there's enough staff so that people don't have to stay four hours of overtime or they're not sure if they're going to get to leave their shift because they're not sure if anyone's coming in to relieve them. So those would be great ways to support self-care. But uh, we have all these limitations. And I think there was a time in my career when I felt like I didn't even know what self-care was. So, I mean, it's good that now there's at least some awareness. But at the same time, the systems didn't really change that much to support it. Mm -hmm. Like it's that big question of how do you shift such a large organization? And getting back to like one of the things that I have always kind of moved back and forth between in my career in terms of managing burnout and moral distress and also seeking places to work where I'm passionate and really excited about the work is flowing between working for large organizations that it comes with so many benefits in some ways because and not like tangible material benefits it comes with just the benefit of having well-organized structures and having you know a whole system for how things function and how scheduling is done and all Mm -hmm. the things can be so great, but then there are so many drawbacks. And so then sometimes I've leaned more into working for smaller organizations or NGOs or smaller projects, or like also doing some research, like holding research positions at the same time as clinical positions to help get lots of variety. But then sometimes some of the smaller organizations that I've worked with or smaller projects, it's like pure chaos, 
because you don't have that overarching bureaucracy moving things along. And so it's interesting. Sometimes I think like my dream, I always joke, my dream is to open a farm in the valley and run like a youth mental health and substance use program of some sort. And just to be able to do it as an NGO and Mm -hmm. work from a similar values place as colleagues and be really intentional about it. But then so often I see these small NGOs go off the rails a bit. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, yeah, they, it's a lot of, it's a lot of work. Yeah, and they struggle to hold find good staffing and so many programs uh end up shutting down because there were internal issues or like it just yeah, it's it's tough to know which direction to go. What are some of the benefits that you've found in your career to developing a more nuanced understanding of self-care and implementing that in your life? A lot of things changed with the pandemic as well. And understanding for me that really relationships and connections to human beings and being able to have people that I trust, people, colleagues that understand and are able to empathize and share the same perspectives as me and share the same passion and the same interests and being able to surround myself with those people has really changed a a lot of things. It's even changed the way that I view substance use and mental health with hope rather than, you know, gloom and doom all the time. And so that's really changed as well. It's coming to that realization that, you know, I don't have to be friends with everybody. (laughs) There's definitely people that don't share my perspective and that's okay. But that doesn't mean that I have to try to like have them in my life all the time and kind of being able to maintain those boundaries, but also, you know, understand that life is short and it, and being able to kind of triage those things that are at the top of my list of importance and focus on those rather than focusing on all the negative things or all that is bad. That has taken time um, through things like reflective journaling, through things like, you know, being able to, to debrief with colleagues that share my own perspective yeah so that that's a lot of work it's not something that happened overnight you know I'm almost 40 years old I've been doing this for 13 years and it's for the first five or six years I wasn't doing so great so it it took time to build that as well and so knowing that um, knowing that this isn't an overnight quick fix kind of thing it takes time to develop understanding of self-care and to figure out what things work best for you and sometimes you need help with that sometimes you need mentorship in fact I would say that we all need mentorship and we all need people to look up to that can help support us in that yeah I think that's such an important theme that I've heard through this conversation that I wasn't even necessarily thinking about when we started it but just the importance of community and human relationship as part of self-care. And it seems like all of the other pieces help you and I do that, like being part of this podcast, writing op-eds or writing like peer-reviewed journal articles to share with the community, engaging in team conversations. It is the community aspect that is the most important, I think, and the most rejuvenating for me, which makes sense because I think for you and I, that's a big part of the reason we went into nursing was to like, be human with another human. And then with that does come a really individual component of self-care as you touched on so that we can make sure and so I can make sure that I'm showing up to those group spaces in a way that is functional and helpful to the group and respectful of the group. And that includes things like seeking out mentorship, doing my own work on myself to 
get more comfortable setting boundaries, getting more comfortable recognizing, you know, not personalizing everything. As you said, if there's conversation at work or a colleague at work that I have conflict with or that we don't agree or don't see eye to eye, which has happened in almost all of the places I've ever worked, that there's been, you know, oh yeah, yeah, <laughs> values differences. And that's not a bad thing. Like we need to have difficult conversations and we need to have people that bring lots of different perspectives. But I think earlier in my career, I would be quicker to jump to, oh, maybe I need to change. Oh, maybe I was too aggressive in that conversation. And I still ask myself those questions, but I think I'm able to move through them sometimes a bit more quickly. And also with self-care and trying to engage in really thoughtful advocacy work at my job, Another part of my self-care has been recognizing, you know, not personalizing things so much and then recognizing if I have stepped out of line, like if I have said something when I'm really passionate about things, I can not be my best self (laughs) sometimes. And I think being able to like also (laughs) practice humility and follow up with colleagues and say, hey, I just wanted to, you know, apologize. I think I spoke more harshly in that conversation than I needed to or I didn't spend as much time listening as I should have. And that's really not my intention. And I think that has been part of my self-care as well. Similar to what Trish was saying in a past episode of kind of unhooking from the narrative of nurses as superheroes has been such a huge part of my self-care. Just this idea that like, I'm trying hard. I come from a place of caring. I'm very passionate about my work, which I'm proud of 10 years in. I'm proud that I still care as much as I do. And knowing that that package of stuff sometimes goes off the rails a bit. And it's also my self-care and my responsibility to know how to repair both with clients, colleagues, with people in my personal life. When I, you know, times when I don't strike a good work-life balance, being able to recognize that and think, okay, this isn't the end of the world. The next three weeks are going to be really awful, but then I recommit to saying no to more things. Like it's always an active evolving thing. And I think that is an important part of self-care is it's not this thing that you achieve and then just put it on cruise control. I'm constantly learning and relearning lessons, stuff that I thought I really like messages that I thought I really internalized five years ago, pop up in new ways. And I'm like, okay, okay, here's this learning again. And just accepting that as part of the process, as opposed to seeing it as a failure, seeing, oh, why did I get hooked on that again? Why did I go down that rabbit hole? Just knowing that it's all what keeps this work interesting. What about Michelle? Any kind of final thoughts about self-care or how it's fit into your career? Yeah, like I think when, as you were talking, I was thinking of, you know, the importance of us being kind to ourselves and compassionate with ourselves as well. You know, we, I think as nurses, we hold ourselves often to a really high standard because we do want to do the best for our patients. And I think we go into this profession because we want to help people. And it's easy to really beat ourselves up if things didn't go according to plan during our shift today, or if we feel like we let someone down it can be really easy to just to fall into that shame spiral. But I think it's just, it's really important to be kind to ourselves as much as we are kind to each other, like be kind. It's important to be kind with coworkers as well. 
and understand that we are privileged to be with people in a lot of hard moments. And that's the beauty of this profession. So I think it's just important to take a step back and remember that. And when we're with our coworkers in those difficult times to understand that sometimes somebody does just need some space. Sometimes our coworkers do need a hug. Sometimes they just need some words of encouragement in order to keep going because we can get to some pretty dark places sometimes. It's so true. And I think that idea that self-care and community care doesn't need to be hugely wild gestures. And then, yeah, I was thinking just kind of in terms of my summary thoughts, just really highlighting the importance of self-care being community care and highlighting the names of Vicki Reynolds, Annette Brown, and someone we haven't talked about yet in this episode, but it reminded me when you talked about the importance of self-compassion, Kristen Neff. She has done so much work around self-compassion and mindful self-compassion. And I think those three people, they've had such a transformative impact on my understanding of self-care and what it means to show up as a nurse and what it means to show up as a human. So thank you so much, Michelle. This has been such a lovely conversation and I look forward to chatting with you and our future guest next month. Thanks, Claire. Take care. Self-care is not a nice to do. It's a need to have. We need to start prioritizing it and we need to support change and to build healthcare systems in which everyone from the direct care staff the ancillary staff and the administrators and directors create organizations that truly enable this. This is not an individualized effort. This is a collaborative and collective strategy that we need to embrace. It's not only the healthcare system that will become unsustainable. Multiple domains of our lives will be negatively impacted if it remains yet another social responsibility that we as a society simply offload onto the shoulders of the individual. So let's stand together and prioritize it to make a shift. Thanks again for listening to another episode of the Shift Change Podcast. If you like this episode, please share it with your friends and colleagues. If you want to learn more about this episode, or if you want to share any feedback with us, please visit our website at www.theshiftchange.ca. Our website has blog posts, behind-the-scenes photos, and links to our Instagram and Twitter accounts. Join us next month for another episode of The Shift Change. Thanks for listening.